the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. A little concerning times on Wall Street, right? Is that fair to say, or is that too dramatic? You have big swings, huge swings. I haven't ever seen such some of the oddities that we've seen. Um, and I've been doing this 20 years. Um, it's bad when you open up triple digits, open down triple digits, open up triple digits. It creates a little bit of angst for people. The New York Stock Exchange invoked a little-used rule called Rule 48 to preempt panic trading at the stock market open for a third day in a row. It's a historic move, and this is a market that's 100-plus years old. The exchange used the rule before Monday's open following a dramatic drop in pre-market futures including the Dow Jones Industrial Average, falling more than 700 points. Uh, the goal of Rule 48, if you've never heard of it, is basically a, to ensure orderly trading amidst financial turbulence. It's only used in the event that extremely high market volatility is likely to have a floor-wide impact on the ability of market movers, market makers, excuse me, um, to disseminate price indications before the bell. It's a pricing mechanism that slows everything down. To invoke Rule 48 is odd in and of itself. The NYSE would have to determine that certain conditions exist that would cause market disruptions, like volatility during the previous day's session, trading in foreign markets before the open, substantial activity in the futures uh, before the open, government announcements, issues along these lines. Um, it's a good rule, but it's bad when we use it. Tells you something's just like, oof, this isn't going terribly smoothly, is it? So the phrase that pays right now, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. That phrase comes to mind when looking at the markets. Yesterday, we opened up big and we faded. Today, open up big, where do we go? Positive indication um, is lovely, but if it doesn't hold, 
it's just telling you that, you know, we're uh, fading into the sunset, so to speak. Again, I'm not panicked by any of this, and you shouldn't be either. Um, it was not a comfortable sight yesterday to see, you know, not being able to hold that, that excitement on the upside. Shanghai Composite um, was up and it was down. It was up it was down. Yesterday after the markets closed, and we're all focusing on China right now, world's second biggest economy. Um, and their you know, market soared up 20% at the start of the year and then collapsed. And uh, it's, it's kind of getting all over the place at this point in time. It's on a day you don't see moves like this. The Shanghai Composite dropped 4.3% in the final two hours of trading. In doing so, investors demonstrated their continued nervousness over the state of affairs in the equity market there. You might remember a couple years ago, um, the whole Occupy Wall Street thing. It doesn't take a lot to scare people. Um, and when they're scared, they, they clam up and they don't invest. Uh, they don't, not only do they not invest, but they don't spend. Um, so, because the Shanghai Composite was up and down so much today, it ultimately ended down 1.3%. And there will be some, you know, what we don't want is the Chinese consumer to go, this is a freaking roller coaster, even though it looks like a freaking roller coaster right now. Um, and we, the United States, we kind of want to get some consistency going as well so that our consumers feel good about what they're seeing in the stock market. Schlumberger is acquiring Cameron, uh, $14.8 billion in cash and stock. In terms of the transaction, translates into a 56.3% premium to Cameron's most recent close. Um, so a big energy acquisition. That's pretty telling. Um, it's the manifestation of a lot of speculation of late that the collapse in energy prices and stock prices should lead to a pickup in M&A space. Stronger companies will buy the weaker ones. Uh, it demonstrates that long-term value is availing itself in the energy sector to sharply reduce stock option prices. That Schlumberger can be thought of as an opportunistic and strategic buyer. Uh, we get some retailers out today, Amber, Crombie, and Fitch, Express, and Chico's. They reported better than expected quarterly results. The U.S. economy is doing okay. It's not the, the best economy I've seen, but it's certainly not bad. The durable orders report for July was better than expected. Another piece of nice data. A pickup in motor vehicle and parts orders up 4%. Machinery orders up 1.5%. Computers up 2%. Total durable orders jumped 2% in July. Not bad. Not bad. There was an added silver lining inside this that orders for non-defense capital goods, excluding aircraft, which is a proxy for business spending, rose 2.2%. So I think it's going to be another crazy day on Wall Street. Welcome to the world that I work in. Not too bad, to tell you the truth. Um, let's take a quick look at some of the markets. Yeah, you know, we opened higher. So can we hold that open is going to be a big question. Um, 10-year treasuries back 2%, 2.14%. Uh, earlier in the week, it had collapsed down to 2%. That's considered a negative. Gold is back lower, 11.22. Crude oil is still under 40 at 39.20. So um, rally or pullback? What do you think? One thing that I do hope we get out of this week in particular, or even the last four or five trading sessions, is that a lot of the, when there's a correction, when there's a down market, 
remember there's risk, right? And you saw the risk was heavily skewed towards the hyper growth stocks and the growth stocks. Uh, they got hit a lot harder. Uh, Netflix, uh, Amazon, Facebook, uh, Tesla. You know, these are the names that are the most dramatic, in my opinion, as far as hypergrowth companies, where some of them make money but not much, and some of them just have just revenue growth in a market that doesn't have a lot of revenue growth. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. Uh, Donald Trump is aiming his wrath at China right now. He, he's in it for a while, it looks like, just so you know. Um, as Beijing struggles to contain the market crash, Republican presidential contenders are taking pot shots at the Chinese leader. Scott Walker, he urged President Barack Obama to rescind his invitation to Mr. Z. Um, Americans are struggling to cope with the fall in today's markets, driven in part by China's slowing economy and the fact that they actively manipulate their economy, Mr. Walker said. I think we do, too, for the record. Um, I'm not going to get into a long rant about that, but um, I think we control some of our statistics that come out, and I think we we want a good labor report. We go to an area where we've seen them pick up in activity, and we pull there. Um, that's always been kind of a truth. Uh, but also, I think we uh, have our Federal Reserve lower the cost of money, and a lot of people think that's kind of like bogus. A lot of people want the Federal Reserve just to go away and let the dollar find out where it should be on its own. Let lenders find out what they should be lending at on their own. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can pick up the phone. Give me a call 800-516-1220. Find me on YouTube, Rob Black Show. Yahoo! <laughs> we'll talk about what they're doing in New York City today a little later on in the show. Ah, it's just a developer's market for phones. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. We have a caller, Jeff in Livermore, 800-516-1220. What's up, Jeff? Hi, Rob. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure you're probably pretty familiar with, uh, or you, I'm guessing you're familiar with the thrift savings plan. I, I work for the... Says and it's, it's a you know it's a 403b um, obviously I, I'm a kind of a small time guy I've got about a hundred grand I'm in my um, uh, early 40s and like about two or three weeks ago I was kind of watching the news and I started getting kind of a feeling about where the markets were kind of topping out and I moved um, pretty much the majority of what I have into uh, uh, G fund and, and fixed income stuff kind of out of the stocks and so. Briefly, I felt pretty, you know, kind of like, wow, what a smart move. But my problem is now, now I have no idea what to do. Now that I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines, I don't really want to be in the business of market timing and stuff. I just sort of felt like it would be prudent to kind of sort of back away from things while things were 
kind of rocking and rolling and then move move back in and forget about it for a while when things start spinning. But again, I just have no idea sort of what to do at this point and wonder if you maybe have some thoughts about that. Um, sure. Um, first and foremost, I'm not a market timer. Um, and you kind of got lucky with what you pulled off. Um, I'm not a big bond guy either, which kind of is a little on the crazy side. I'm assuming you have life cycle funds that you can get into. Yeah, and I, I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've moved a little bit of money in and out of those. I mean, they don't allow you a lot of moves with uh, the the TSB fund. There's just like two a month, and I, I'm really trying not to do that that much at all. Uh, I've dipped my toes into the life cycle fund. Yeah, they've got a few of them. So, okay. um, and right now, I'm low I, on. I'm sorry. No, no, it's, uh, I appreciate you taking time to try to explain yourself. Um, yeah, just I personally, I think you're in your 40s, and I don't think you can really do what you're doing successfully because it puts you in a position if you miss a big up day, you can miss a lot. And thanks for the call. Um, if you want to choose an investment mix, there's GFC and S and I funds. Um, consider both the risk and the reward. The F funds are bonds. The C, S, and I funds are stocks. They have higher potential returns than the G fund. Um, again, I'm not a big bond guy. Um, investing entirely in the G fund may give you returns you need to meet your retirement savings goal since you're a little bit behind. Um, according to you, you're not, you don't have the biggest. And, you know, $100,000 at age 40 in the Bay Area isn't going to get you into retirement in the Bay Area unless you up it and or get better performance. Um I want you to review your choices on a regular basis. Um, the L funds participate and they kind of combine all the other funds, the life cycle funds. And what I would consider you do is that you go with, you probably have the L2050 for you, uh, life cycle 2050. And that means you're going to retire in the year 2050. And you do the math right now and you're like, okay, it's 2015. That means I'm going to retire in 35 years, that's going to give you the most risk, but it's also going to give you very low preservation of assets. Um, if you want to do the 2040, it's, you know, preservation of assets, very low. If you want to do the 2030, preservation of assets, very low, and that's more moderate to high. So somewhere between 2030 and 2050 is where I would consider putting yourself. Um, and then you're good to go. Um, I'm just not a market timer, and at age 40, if like the market goes down, you want to be buying more of your stock funds and not less. So I look at downturns as positive. Let's go to Pat. Pat, how are you? Go ahead, Pat. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, uh, I'm in, I'm retired, and um, I I do invest in individual stocks, but I don't. I have the dividends reinvested. And these yep. are for my children and grandchildren. And okay. I was uh, considering purchasing uh, Procter & Gamble and Clorox company today, and I was wondering your opinion on those two companies. Um, let's just do one because it's easier to kind of like digest it for everyone. Um, Procter & Gamble is a stock that obviously was around when you were a little girl, and it'll be around when your children's children are around. Um, thanks for the call. Um, Procter and Gamble, you know, P and G, they boast dozens of billion dollar brands from home, hair, health, um, 
always Braun, Crest, Fusion, Gillette, Head and Shoulders, Mach 3, Oil of Olay, Pantene, Duracell, Downey, Dawn, Charmin, Pampers, Gain. They're not going away. And it's the type of company that does have exposure, unfortunately, to a stronger dollar. Um, but it also has a brand that's going to be able to ride it out. Uh, it's got a 3.7% dividend yield along the way. It's 52 week high, is about 92. It's currently around 70. Um, the dollar has been hurting it, and international markets has as well. Maybe you want to compare the two, um, Clorox and Procter & Gamble, because they're kind of similar as far as what they're selling. And what you're going to see is that um, Procter & Gamble is trading about 16 times next year's earnings. And uh, it, too, you know, when you start comparing it to Clorox, it, too, Clorox has had a big fall in the last month, um, in large part because of what's happening on international markets and the stronger dollar. Um, but it's trading, Clorox is trading next year's about 20 times earnings. So Procter & Gamble is cheaper and bigger. Clorox is more expensive and smaller. I like both names for the long-term patient investor. And after its recent pullback, I think uh, you've got some protection on the downside in the short term. But I don't think you care about that because you're talking about daughters and granddaughters, which is probably, you know, a really solid idea. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. A couple stocks that I stories that I want to talk about is the junk bonds. Right now, junk bonds have been getting murdered. More than $8 billion have poured out of high-yield bonds, and the carnage is expected to continue. The biggest reason for the weakness of junk bonds has been the crash of commodity markets, mainly oil. The energy sector accounts for about 15% of junk bond issuance, and almost as much comes from companies in the metals and mining sector, where commodity prices are collapsing. You have to, if you own a high-yield bond fund, you have to know what's in it. Um... Just throwing that out there for you. Bottled water is catching up with soda sales, and I think that's pretty fascinating. Um, something that you can get not for free, but pretty cheap. And uh, we continue to buy plastic water bottles, and uh, people feel naked without their gallon, big old jug. Uh, Silicon Valley is long often shaken off the doldrums of the dot-com bubble, but one of the industry's most respected venture capital firms is now encouraging their entrepreneurs to batten down the hatches, to cut costs, to focus on profit, and to spend every dollar as if it were your last, because it's going to be a rough ride. That's a good thing, because you could shake out competition, but you could also start seeing who the winners are. Uh, I like where we are. I like where we're going. We'll take a break here. We'll come back, talk to Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. Actually, he's not here today. Uh, forgot that. I guess we off. Or maybe he is. We'll find out. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. <laughs> Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
you go sort out the recycling, which is in part of the fault. You hear business time. You think Dr. Jeff Rose and Chief Economist with Briefing.com. It's time to talk business. And the rate hike has been a big topic of debate this week. All signs were looking for the Fed to raise interest rates in their September meeting. Then this big last four or five days of volatility, and maybe not so much so, uh, because things went from normal to we need to normalize again. Dr. Jeff, what do you think is going to happen? You know, I don't know. Now, okay. what I can tell you is the Fed is not going to look at the market crash um, over the last week in the Chinese equity markets and in the U.S. stock markets and make a decision based on that. And, and Dudley came out this morning basically to say the same thing, that you know the stock market in general does a, a nice job of leading economic growth, but overall uh, the impact on the economic outlook from you know a pullback like we've seen isn't something to be too concerned about, considering that the fundamentals rely more on uh, external impacts than U.S. domestic impacts. That said, what's going on in China could have a potential change in how the Fed you know, responds with interest rate hikes. And by that, we look more closely at the, um, at the rate of what the yuan is valued against the dollar. You know, the Fed is mandated to target inflation and unemployment. And one of their criteria was that the uh, inflation growth rate over the medium term was going to return to the Fed's target level of 2%. Well, right now, headline is running well below that, namely because of uh, the crash in, in commodity prices. But core is also running only at 1.3% year over year, and it's been kind of flat right around that level for quite some time. And we haven't seen any upward pressure on that. Now, when the Chinese devalued the yuan, making U.S. Uh, dollar stronger, what it does is it lowers import prices, which we would say is reducing or adding deflationary pressures to U.S. buyers. So if you're buying consumer goods and we know there's competition and prices are, are dropping to match the competition because the underlying support price that the, that the company is paying has gone down because the cost of the yuan is lower, then we have a deflationary problem. Now, if the Fed's trying to get to 2% inflation and you have inflation now looking like it's going to tick lower – that makes the Fed a little bit more uneasy at raising rates. So you know, to summarize all this, and it's kind of confusing, is you know, the market's looking at this big equity crash. That's a big deal. The Fed's really not going to look at that. You know, the financial stability of the U of U.S. banking system is not on the line here. However, if the Fed is going to be looking at what's going on, it, the underlying crisis of you know, slowdown in China – causing a yuan devaluation, meaning that the U.S. prices are going to be lower, and that will have an impact on how the Fed's going to respond. That could push out a rate hike, you know, from September, you know, well into next year, depending on how things are going. So, you know, it really all depends on how much the Fed is willing to risk inflation. You know, if they feel that you know, 1.3% is fine, 1.1% is fine, you know, 0.8% is fine, then you'll have a rate hike sooner than later. If they're 
worried about the importing of deflationary pressures, then it's going to kick things out, you know, quite some time. Okay. Um, how do you think China's central bank or China's economic policy is handling their crisis? Because from the stock side of it, it looks like they're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Are you taking a look at their policies? Yeah, I and mean, a lot of it is, and it's funny, it's like, you know, if you looked at during the Great Recession here in the U.S., we were envious of China because the idea that a central policy, a central plan can allocate capital perfectly and make growth happen just seemed magical and wonderful. Now, now the same idea of, you know, being able to allocate capital where you want and you find out that capital wasn't allocated efficiently, you end up with, you know, a pullback. And that's what's happening now is that, you know, China built up a lot of their growth based on, you know, stuff that wasn't real. So, you know, the Chinese policy is one, support the Communist Party and two, support the general economy. So, you know, if that's the way it's going to work, you're going to be doing things that, you know, economically are not, you know, recommended. And what you're doing then is supporting you know, to make sure that the leadership is secure and that makes things look haphazard because, you know, what you would expect to happen isn't going to happen because you have a little bit of conflict between, you know, the allocation of capital or, or the proper allocation of capital. Taking a look back domestically, housing and consumer confidence and autos all seem to be a big thumbs up. We have still the low cost of money, so that's just going to support housing and my brief analysis and we got low oil prices which means low gas prices which means people go out and buy bigger gas guzzlers we're looking okay for the next year aren't we yeah yeah and that's okay. that's the the problem you know and that's why the rate hike for september seemed logical you know if you look at what was going on over the next year you know even if you have an up move in oil prices even if things you know change a little bit. The outlook still looks decent. You know, the uh, you know, the growth rate or growth projections of three percent in 2016 or even above that, you know, is possible. You know, it's not like you're looking at it and going, "How in the world are they making these projections? These things will never come true." You know, the conditions are pointing that way. So, you know, if that's true, then a rate hike could happen because you would expect inflation to come around because you'd expect a tightening in the labor market because job growth has been robust. You know, uh, layoff levels have been, you know, virtually non-existent. You know, historic lows going back 40 years on some of these initial claims reports. So, you know, if you're looking at just domestic policy and what's going on, things are, are fine. You know, the, the hang-up is, if, are we importing too much deflationary pressures? Is that going to keep the Fed from uh, from responding? Durable goods orders came out this morning, and they were positive from what I can see. What do you see inside the numbers of durable goods? I was quite surprised. I mean, you, a lot of it came from autos. Uh, you saw the industrial production numbers. That was it two weeks ago? Show you know a strong surge in uh, motor vehicle assemblies and, and orders and assemblies kind of follow hand in hand. So that was a, that was a good number. Uh, I was expecting aircraft to play a, a much larger negative role, and that didn't happen. So you know that's a positive. Uh, and if you look at the underlying details, I mean, finished manufacturing goods were really strong. I mean, you had a good 
communications numbers, you had good machinery orders, you had good uh, electrical equipment orders, put it all together, non-defense uh, cap goods were really strong. Uh, you know, you had some positive revisions to previous years, or so the previous months, and overall investment in, um, you know, manufacturing or manufactured goods, machinery, that type of stuff, equipment, looks good, you know, and, and that's a positive. Speaking with Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com, real smart guy, and he's able to put things in pretty human terms when talking economics, and uh, I like that because I think a lot of our listeners are freaked out by economists and how they talk and some of the terms. Um, what else are you seeing out there that's important? What are you working on right now? Yeah, I, I think and we we talk about this you know every month. It's that the the key is employment. You know, the, the employment report okay. is what we need to focus on. The employment report is what the Fed is going to be focusing on. If we see an August employment report that comes out in you know, the first week of September that shows really strong payroll growth, which would you know go in line with uh, you know these layoff levels that are that are you know really, really low, and you have a nice gain in wages, that would mean that you have some demand pull um, uh, inflationary pressures. That, that's good. You know, that would that would spark the Fed to say, you know what, let's not worry too much about what's going on overseas. Yes, the dollar's strong. Yes, we're importing some deflationary pressures, but domestically, we're going well. You know, we're going we're gonna to head in that direction. Inflation will come up. This is more of a, you know, quote, transitory impact. And rates will go up, and that's what they're going to look at. And I think that's the key. If we get an employment report that shows lackluster payroll growth or shows wages that are flat or, or you know, barely growing, then you think the Fed will say, you know what, these outside influences, maybe we should just wait off. You know, I don't think October meeting makes any sense since there's no press release or, sorry, uh, press conference after that. So I think that your next move would be December, and I think that's where uh, where things will go. In a very, very short answer, because we have less than a minute, um, home ownership in the United States is is plummeting in the last five years. How low of a number do you think we can get to? 64%, uh, 62%? I mean, you could get you know fairly low because of the way the changing dynamics of finding of getting loans and the changing dynamics of do uh, you know what typically we think of as the first time home buyers do they believe in the system? You know, if they believe that renting in an urban environment is better than uh, owning a home in the suburbs, then you're going to have a lower home ownership rate than you did in the past. So the question is, you know, are we going to see a change in the demographics? Great stuff. Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. Lots to think about. Lots of information there. I'll post it on my Facebook page if you want to go listen to it again later today. Uh, my Facebook page is I Hate Rob Black or Cron for Rob Black. It's also going to be on my Twitter. You can find that at Rob Black Show. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station.
I'm Ron Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. We could talk about Best Buy. They had a great quarter. Their stock jumped. They seem to be a bit of a... They seem to be a bit of a value play at this point in time. Um, you have to be careful with that because there's something called a value trap. A value trap is something that looks cheap. Maybe it's performing well, but let's take a look at the last five years where it's flat and the S&P 500 is up 80%. Got to be kind of careful on that one. Do I like Best Buy? Sure. There's worse things to own, but <clears throat> there's better things to buy. Uh, can you make some money off of it? Sure. In the long run, are you going to make money off of it? It's going to be tough. So know that going in, and I think that will empower you a bit. So the market today, getting back to the markets. Yesterday we had a big open, and then we gave it not all back, but a lot of it back. Today, same thing. We still have many hours left in trading, but we opened basically higher, and we've you know come back down to a nice day. There's no doubt about it, but not as nice as the open was. So how do we end? I don't know. Short term, this is, uh, I'm not going to say anybody's game, because I think that's silly. Um... But people are starting to watch the Fed and interest rates, and people are changing a little bit of the expectations. Bonds paired earlier gains amid fears Chinese uh, growth and timing of U.S. Federal Reserve interest rate hike you know, would try to create some sort of safe haven asset. Um, U.S. government pays our debt, so people will park money in the two-year, the three-year treasuries, the 10-year bond, 15-year People like to park money in safety. The federal government pays their debt. Tanner Central Bank said today that it had injected 140 billion won or $21 billion in the interbank money market by a short-term liquidity operation. China's doing a lot. They're trying to you know, stop the bleeding. I've seen one analyst say, you know, it's so crazy over there and it's been so dramatic on the downside. Now is the time to buy. But that takes courage to buy when other people are selling. Uh, Wednesday's markets, today's, they're taking their cue from China. There's still going to be some speculation about the Fed. Uh, we had some economic data that came out today that was pretty good on durable goods. And that's not going to move the market right now. Right now, it's going to be China. And uh, we want the Chinese consumer to be happy. And when our stock market fell on Monday, you probably looked at it and said, oh, my gosh. I wonder if I'm going to, like, if you worked at a company that was down a lot, you're like, I wonder if I'm going to get fired. I wonder if they're going to have to downsize. Um, <clears throat> I kind of like what we're seeing out there, and I'm not spooked by it. Oh, by the way, we've got two more sets of Beetle tickets to give away if people want to go to this event. Um, it's a good event, um, so I'll take two callers right now for In My Life musical tickets. Um, Call repairs a pair of tickets to see In My Life a Musical Theater tribute to the Beatles featuring Alexander John as Brian Epstein. I kind of want to see this, but I don't have time, but I kind of want to see it. Um, 
just to see what the you know the narration angle on Abbey Road, Abbey Road, Sergeant Pepper's, um, the Revolution period, the psychedelic era, the Ed Sullivan Show, the squeaky clean image, the drugged image. Um, there's a lot too. I didn't like. If you have a kid, take your kid. You know, show them. You know, this was rock and roll, not this Justin Bieber One Direction stuff. Um, so anyway, that's going to coming up uh, Saturday, September 12th. It's in San Jose at the Montgomery Theater. First two callers that want the tickets, get the tickets. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in on that action. Um, and those, those things have real money value. I mean, I don't give away, you know, $2 bumper stickers or anything like that. It's just not my style. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Oil kind of showed a little bit of a sideways action today, which was kind of nice. Oh my gosh, Kraft has recalled 2 million pounds of turkey bacon after illnesses have hit people. So if you own Oscar Mayer turkey bacon, uh, people have become unwell. <laughs> Spoilage-related consumer complaints. Um, that's kind of interesting. So get on the internet and see if you have that in your fridge. I'm not a big turkey bacon kind of guy. Angry Bird Maker Rovio is planning to some deep job cuts. Um, it is really, in my opinion, not a good idea to buy companies that make video games unless you're going to buy Electronic Arts, Activision, or Take-Two. The smaller ones that have one-hit wonders like Candy Crush, King, or Rovio, Angry Birds. Um, Angry Birds has some staying power. There's a movie coming out that I hear is quite clever. Um, but they haven't had a big hit since Angry Birds, and their newest Angry Birds makes you pay for more birds after you've used up so many in a certain amount of time, which I don't like. I know it's a business model, and other companies have to make money, and I get it. Uh, but Rovio cut 110 jobs in 2014. Revenue fell about 9%. Um, they're making money, but um, they're also trying to cut another 260 jobs, or 37% of their staff overall. Over the next decade, Americans will emerge from their childhood bedrooms or rental apartments and start becoming homeowners again. Homeownership has plunged to its lowest level in half a century. The U.S. is expected to create about 14 million to 16 million new households. Um, one of those, uh, of those, as many as 13 million will be owners, and as few as 3 million will be renters. So, numbers of favor um, that we've closer bottom than the top. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. Thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate it. Have a good day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.